If you have your Bibles this evening, turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 this evening. I appreciate your patience with me this evening. This may be one of the harder sermons that I've had to preach, um, just with even time and preparation since I, I started work this past week. But we'll get into God's Word and we'll work through this passage of John 15, verses 1 through 8. But one of the greatest questions that people face is the question of who am I? Or what is my identity? This is a question that has been really pushed to the forefront of our culture today in ways that we probably never thought we would ever see or ever hear. We probably thought we would never see the day where people were having a question about their identity when it comes to their gender. We probably never thought we would see people have questions as to what race or ethnicity that they want to identify with. There is greater pressure on young people today to where they feel like they have to pick what they want their identity to be, and then they have to be that identity for the rest of their life. Whether this takes place in what friend group they want to identify with, or if they identify as an athlete, or they identify with the academic side of things, or whether they identify with arts in some way, or whatever various group that they may identify with, that's who they have to be. Or it takes place in college, uh, when they have to decide what major they're going to be, and they're going to be lumped in with these other people choosing the same major, and that's who they are. These are the people that study this. These are the people that study that. Or even in the adult world where people allow their jobs to identify who they are. Sometimes one of the first things that people do when they, when they introduce them themselves is tell them what they do for a living. It's one of the first questions that we ask, oh, what do you do for a living? So there's, there's this identity that people are, are searching for and seeking to have. And with what seems to be needing to claim an identity and that this identity is who you are, and, and there seems to also go along with this a pressure to defend that identity. Not only to have an identity and claim an identity, but now that you have had that and claimed that, now you have to defend it. And anyone who may be potentially opposite of this identity or opposed to this identity, well, we just simply can't be friends with those people because they're not the same type of people as we are. We can't associate with those people. We, we can't be around them because this may lead to hostility between people or people groups because of identities. And this is immense pressure. It's almost unbearable pressure that people face and that Christians can sometimes find themselves being a part of as well, where they get so wrapped up in the world and so wrapped up in the secular aspect of claiming an identity that they lose sight of many of the key fundamental truths of Christianity. And it's difficult. It is a challenge. Because we are currently still in this world. We are around people. We know people. We have friends with, and we're friends with people who think in this way. So it's natural for humans to follow other humans and for people to get pushed into this fight for identity. This is why the Bible oftentimes refers to people as sheep, because sheep are easily manipulated and will follow without question many times. So what do we do? 
how do we fit in with this fight for identity that we can find ourselves so wrapped up in on a daily basis? Well, as the basic Sunday school answer may imply, the Bible. The Bible is the key in helping us navigate the ever-changing path and direction of what we want and think our identity is and should be. The Bible is often referred to as God's Word, because that is exactly what it is. Uh, there is sometimes a lost connection between the Bible and the fact that it came from God. Sometimes we view the Bible as a book that has some good advice in it. It could help us out in tough times. But the Bible is so much more than that. The Bible is the direct revelation of God. In other words, what is in the Bible is exactly what God wanted us to know. Everything contained in here is what God has chosen to disclose to mankind because he knows this is all that we need to know. And when you would pause and think about that, that everything that the Creator God has intended for us to know, to live a godly life, to live our life, period, is contained within the pages of this book, we view it very differently. And sometimes I believe another way that people misunderstand the Bible is they think that the Bible is all about them. That it's a book designed to help them in their life. And whereas that is, that is true, that is certainly true that the Bible is there to help us in our life, but it's kind of missing the main point. The Bible is not just a book from God to help us in hard times. The Bible reveals many things to us. That is why the Bible is the revelation of God, because God is revealing things to us that we would not know otherwise. And God chose not just to reveal to us helpful tips and helpful tricks to get us through hard times in our life. He reveals so much more than just that. He reveals aspects about his creation. He reveals the driving force of man. He reveals why there's bad things that happen to us, that happen around us, that we do. He reveals why there are good things and why those things are good things. He provides an accurate picture of who we are, and most importantly, he draws an accurate picture of who he is. And within the revealing of who he is, God pulls back the curtain just enough to reveal his glory and his person in a way that cannot help but leave us changed and honestly asking more questions. And really let that sink in that God has just disclosed such a small amount of himself to us that we are left in awe. There's so much more to him than even what he has revealed to us in his word. That's why the Bible says, oh, how unsearchable are the things of God. There is not a limit to how much we can search and know about God because we will never reach the end of it. We could never reach the end of it. As we read our Bibles, there should be the dedicated intent to be trying to learn more about God and a better understanding of who God is, how he works and what he does. And this is beneficial to us in many ways. But how does this help us in our fight for identity? When we see who God truly is, there's going to be a natural comparison to who we are. When we're reading God's word 
and we're seeing who God is, there will always be the drawback to who we are. Because as humans, we compare everything. We don't realize we compare everything, but we compare everything. We measure ourselves against any standard that we can find, even make up standards that we can measure ourselves against, because it's usually an attempt to make us feel better about ourselves. We want to be better than someone else, so we measure against various people. Or we want to see how can we get better than somebody else at something. And really the comparisons we make are made out of pride in an attempt to build ourselves up. And this is where the Bible is intentionally painful to our lives. Because there is no comparison drawn uh, to the characters of the Bible, but rather we draw a comparison to the God of the Bible. And that is painful because naturally as we, we draw these comparisons between us and God, they never result in us building up pride in ourselves. The more we learn about God and the more we learn about ourselves, it just seems to get wider and wider and wider the chasm between us and him and the fact that we fall woefully short of him. And of course we fall short because we're measuring ourselves against God. Why wouldn't we fall short? And this is why we like to read our Bibles in a way that sometimes avoids this comparison. And this is why I believe that actually a lot of people don't even read their Bibles to avoid the comparison of themselves to a holy and righteous God. They don't like to read because it makes them feel uncomfortable. Or they search and search for the encouragement that they need in their life and nothing seems to stick the way that they wish it would. And it's because they're searching for encouragement instead of searching for the source of the encouragement. And as this happens, as we read our Bibles without the intent of learning more about God, then we struggle with finding the, our identity that we should be having as Christians. But as we read our Bibles with the intent of learning more about God, we start to get a better picture of who we are especially as those who have been saved by his grace. So as Christians, we don't have this tremendous pressure of finding our identity. We don't have the pressure of declaring our identity and having to defend it with our own sufficiency. But rather, as Christians, the Bible provides for us our true identity. It provides all people with their true identity. Right? And it's not an identity of employment or social identity or political identity. Rather, the Bible gives every person the identity of either a sinner or a sinner saved by grace. One of the two. There is the unavoidable truth that all humans are sinners. But what has been done about our sin is what establishes our identity. If nothing has been done about our sins, we are sinners that are destined for an eternity in hell separated from God. And that everything that we do in life, no matter what job we have, no matter what group we identify with, all the things that we do are rubbish and mean nothing. Or, we can be those whose debt of sin has been paid. We can be those whose debt has been paid through, the faith, through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And through this, we have been given a new identity. And this identity changes everything about us. We are no longer alienated from God, but rather we are now his children. We are no longer destined for an eternity in hell, but rather eternity with God in heaven. 
We no longer have meaningless lives that don't count for anything, but rather we now live a life that's separated and profitable as we do things to the honor and glory of God and his power. And this changes absolutely everything in the way that we view ourselves. It changes the way we view God. It changes the way that we view our jobs. It changes the way how we view our, le- our leisure. It changes the way we associate with an identity. So we're going to be taking a deeper dive in how this works and what it looks like in our lives from John 15, 1 through 8. I'll read that and we'll get into our main points for this evening. So John 15, verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. So this evening we are going to be looking at three things, three main points about our identity. The first is our identity has a source. Our identity has a source. This is the first thing that we need to understand when it comes to our identity, is that there is a source. John 15, 1, Christ is telling us that he is the vine. He is the true vine, and we are the branches. Right there, we see our identity is found in Christ, because Christ is the vine. It was very common for Christ to use illustrations like this during his earthly ministry and his teaching, because oftentimes... Illustrations are the best way that people can relate truth to a situation that is understandable to them. And to the people that Christ was talking to, this would have been a very clear picture of what the vine and the branches would have illustrated. But I think sometimes we maybe lose association with that a little bit. Because when maybe we think of a vine, we think of it maybe from some kind of movie where there is a action adventure movie where the hero is trying to escape the bad guys and he grabs this massive vine and swings across this chasm in order to escape. Right? And we think of this really thick vine that can hold the weight of a human being. Or maybe we think of vines that are somewhat of a nuisance. Uh, out here on the playground in the woods, there are lots of vines that go up through the trees. And a couple times I've, I've tried to pull all those out, and it could be very frustrating because it is a, a vine that, that just intertwines with everything. They continue to grow up, and they grow out, and they completely choke out any of the other vegetation that is around it. And again, they're a pain to get rid of because as soon as you think you have gotten all of it, you've pulled all of it out of the trees, and you've gotten to the end of it, you look up and there's more even higher, and then you look back in a few weeks and it's all regrown. A vine that's a nuisance. But this is not what Christ is talking about. He's talking about a completely different kind of vine. It is a vine that produces fruit. The picture that always comes to my head is grapes. Grapes grow off the vine. 
um, but they do not grow off the main part of the vine. They grow off of shoots or the branches of the vine. And Christ is telling us here that he is the true vine, and we are the branches that are off of that vine. And as those branches that shoot off of the true vine, we produce fruit. But our identity as Christians is the fact that we are the branches. And as these branches, we are not independent branches, but rather we are branches that are attached to the true vine of Christ. And it's important to note that, the, that this identity of being a branch off of the vine of Christ has nothing to do with us. It has nothing that, that we have done, because our salvation was nothing of our own doing. And this is what provides such great security for our identity and being in Christ because there is not something that we have declared or something that we have worked for to be attached to the vine of Christ but rather it was the sovereign work of God that has given us this identity but along with the great truth of Christ being the true vine is another equally great truth and that is the fact that our true vine Christ also sustains us as a vine whose branches produce fruit, the vine is what brings the valuable nutrients to those branches. And this is what Christ does for us in our lives. Christ is the one who sustains us in our life. It is not ourselves that is responsible, but rather it is submission to Christ that allows us to be filled with what we need in order to produce fruit. In fact, verses 4 and 5, Christ tells us that without him, we are essentially useless and that we can do nothing. And those are some pretty harsh words. Words that people don't like to hear, that without Christ, we're useless and can do nothing. But that is the truth that we need to hear. We need to hear that truth. We need to be con confronted with the fact that it is only by the grace of God that we are who we are. And this is paramount in our battle for our identity. Because when we come to points in our lives when either we are questioning our identity, who am I, what do I do, or others are questioning our identity, who are you, we can look to the fact that our identity first is because of Christ, and that is completely sustained by Christ. But secondly, we see that our identity has a purpose. Our identity has a purpose. With Christ being the source and sustainer of our identity, we can now move to see the fact that uh, not only do we have this identity, but there is a purpose behind it. And that purpose is to produce fruit. But what is the fruit that we are supposed to produce? Or what is the fruit that we're going to produce? And we could take the time to go into a deep dive and look at all that should be a product of the Christian life. But for simplicity's sake and for time's sake, we'll just use the fruit of the Spirit. Because that really can encapsulate all of those other things. The fruit of the Spirit are things that should be true in the believer's life. All of them should be true in the believer's life. It's not a pick and choose of I want these three fruit of the Spirit and I could leave those two and I might try to go after the other four. Every single fruit of the Spirit should be present in the believer's life. And these fruit can only be produced in the believer's life because they are from the Spirit. So we know that if, if we are producing the fruit of the Spirit, 
then, and these are truly fruit of the Spirit, then we have this relationship with Christ. The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, long-suffering, and temperance. And when we think about these, when we think of these nine fruit and how they apply to essentially every position, every situation that we can find in our lives, we can see that these are instrumental in living the life that God has called us to live as we have our identity in him. Whether it's love, whether it's joy or peace, you could, you could think through the fruit of the Spirit and they will all be instrumental in us living a life that God has called us to live. And a great part of the fruit that we would bear is the positive impact that they have in our own life. It's not just that we can produce these fruit because it's the fruit that God wants us to produce and, they, and that you know, they don't really bring us any benefit, but rather these are fruit that God wants us to produce, not only to, to bring him glory, but also to help us in our everyday lives. There's benefit to us in producing this fruit. But perhaps the main reason why are we why we are to produce fruit is because it leads others to a saving knowledge of Christ. As others view our life and see the fruit of the Spirit on full display and fleshed out, there will be an obvious difference, and this will leave people curious. It'll leave people wondering, how are you so loving? How do you have this much joy? How are you so patient? And these questions are our springboards into sharing the gospel. They're the perfect lead into telling others about our true identity in Christ. How can you do these things? Well, it's because of who I am, and who I am is because of Christ. Another purpose of our identity in Christ is so that we can glorify God. The ultimate end of man, as was stated this morning, is to glorify God. When we take our identity in Christ and we accept the fact that we are the branches with the intent of producing fruit, and we produce fruit that points others to Christ and helps us live godly lives, all of this brings God great honor. Our bearing fruit is what brings God glory. And we talked about what some of the fruit are, but we didn't talk about how to produce that fruit. We understand that it comes from the Spirit. The Spirit produced fruit in our lives. It should be relevant in every single Christian's life, all of the fruit. But the passage tells us that if we are to produce fruit, we need to abide in Christ. Abiding in Christ is the key not only in producing fruit, but it is the key to the Christian life. There isn't a scenario that you can think of in life where it's not necessary to abide in Christ. But yet we can easily find ourselves abiding outside of Christ. And I think that sometimes this happens because we don't really understand abiding as we should. It seems to be the American way to be busy. Not only to be busy, but to stay busy. We have to go to work all the time. It's go, 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 go from one thing to another, even on Sundays. Just jumping from one activity to another activity to another activity. We've got to be busy. We've got to work. We've got to do these things. Even as we unwind, we're already thinking about the next day. We're already thinking about all the things that we have to do, not just for the rest of the day, not just for tomorrow, but the rest of the week, maybe the rest of the month. Maybe we really zoom out to the rest of the year. 
And this is furthered with even the fact that we are constantly seeing updates and, and news feeds and they're, they're buzzing in our pocket on our phone and, and we're, just, we're bringing in all this information, we're bringing in all this stimulation where our minds are working, our bodies are working, and we never really take a break from working. But with abiding, it carries with it the idea that there are no distractions. There is no work, but rather there is rest. There is a calm, and there is a fixation on the source of that abode. If one is to abide in a house, it is the rest and the relaxation that is found as all other things melt away, and the focus is the relief that the sanctity of that house provides. We need to be abiding in Christ. We need to be resting in him, resting in his promises, resting in his security. And as we rest, we can let our guard down. The Psalms are full of references to God being our shield, our fortress, and our buckler. And this is necessary. But it's also a tremendous blessing. But a big part of our abiding in Christ is our satisfaction in Christ. Do we view him as all that we need? Do we view him as being sufficient to allow ourselves to abide in him? Do we stray from what God has provided and what he gives us into the temptation to want to rule our own lives and try to provide for ourselves what we may feel that God has either forgotten about or doesn't understand that we, we really need this, so I need to go get it because you're not providing it for me. I'm not truly satisfied in you. It is a battle to maintain our abiding in Christ and remain satisfied in him because our flesh is trying to convince us that we need to rule our own lives. That we need to be sovereign if we are to ever truly be satisfied. But that's harmful thinking. It's dangerous thinking. Because anything outside of God and his plan is not going to bring true lasting satisfaction. Because only Christ can do that and be that in our lives. But as we are satisfied and as we are abiding in Christ, we will produce much fruit and this will bring God glory. And this is all enabled by that identity that we have been given as branches that come from the vine of Christ. Our third point this evening is our identity has a keeper. Our identity has a keeper. Identity has a source. Our identity has a purpose. And our identity has a keeper. So now that we know that our identity's source is Christ, and that the purpose is to produce fruit and glorify God, we now see that our identity does indeed have a keeper. And this is what even further distinguishes our identity with what the world's idea of an identity is. The world, and sometimes we do as well, feel like we're responsible for keeping up our identity. Now we have to keep up whatever thing that we're claiming to be. And this usually plays out in a way that makes our life incredibly difficult. But we see that God the Father is the husbandman or the keeper of the vineyard. So we have this picture 
of Christ being the vine that gives life to the branches. We are the branches that produce fruit, and that fruit gives God glory, who is the keeper of the vineyard. And as the keeper of the vineyard, God the Father does things in the life of the believer in order to keep the branches producing fruit. And these things that he does, sometimes we like them, and sometimes we don't like them. The first thing that we see God does is that he taketh away every branch that doesn't bear any fruit. And I like the way that John MacArthur puts what this means. He says the picture is of the vine dresser getting rid of dead wood so that the living fruit-bearing branches may be sharply distinguished. This is the picture of apostate Christians who never genuinely believed and will be taken away in judgment. The transforming life of Christ has never pulsated within them. The product of salvation is abiding in Christ. And the product of abiding in Christ is producing fruit. If someone has never truly produced fruit, then they have never abided in Christ. And to make sure the growth of true branches can be maximized, God removes those who are not true branches by various methods. But the second thing that God does as the keeper is that he purges or prunes the branches that produce fruit. And this is something where we don't particularly like God as the keeper because this tends to be a painful process. This is the process in which God looks at the branch, inspects it, sees what fruit may be being produced, but he also sees various things that may be hindering growth and may be hindering production. And as he sees these things, he takes them out. He cuts them out. He removes them with the obvious intention of further growth. And we, we easily get this, this picture when it comes to a plant. If you, if you see you know, a, a budding flower and there are dead heads on the flower, you, you take them off. So you know, new buds can come forth. And it seems like a fairly easy procedure in which it's either just cut or it's just plucked and that's it. We don't think anything of it, especially when we do with flowers. We pull the thing off, throw it to the side, and that's it. We're done. But usually in our lives, it's not that simple. It's through various means taking away things that we may hold to as precious. There are things that we hold to as precious that God may say, do you know what? That's actually hindering your growth. It's hindering your production. And God knows that even though we may view them as precious, it is hindering us. And it's something that really only God knows as the vine dresser, as the husbandman. And the process of taking these things away is painful. We don't like it. But this is where we need to have faith. Because we need to have faith that what God is taking away is either taking away something that is bringing us harm or it's taking away something that is going to make room for more growth. And when I think of this, my wife showed me a picture, I forget whether it was Facebook or Instagram at one point, that really depicted this well. It was a picture of Jesus talking to a little girl. I may have shared this before, but 
Jesus is talking to a little girl, and this little girl in her arms is holding this small, somewhat damaged teddy bear. And Jesus stoops down to talk to the little girl who's holding this, this bear and asks the little girl to give him the bear. And she, through tears, says, but I love it. And what the little girl doesn't see is that as Jesus is bending down asking for this bear, behind Jesus' back is a bigger, brand new teddy bear for this girl. She doesn't give up what she thinks she loves and needs because she doesn't understand that Jesus is about to give her something better. And this is oftentimes how we feel when God continues to grow our identity in him. We hold to things and tell God, sometimes through tears, but I love it. But we can never receive the better that God has for us until we give to him what he asks of us. And as we do this, we need to remember and sometimes audibly speak these truths into our lives, the fact that God is good. God loves us. God is seeking the best for us. God is always faithful. God always protects us. God knows our struggles. And God knows our needs. And a helpful practice is after we go through times like this, where God is calling us to give up something in our lives as he's trying to, to prune the branch to create more growth, is we need to take a mental note and go back after a little bit after we have submitted to God's calling and see how things have worked out for the better. See how what God has taken away was replaced with something far better. And this gives us help when he calls for us to do it again. When he comes back and inspects us as a branch and sees the fruit that we're producing and says, do you know what, if this goes, so much more fruit can be, can be produced here. In a world where the most prominent question is, who am I? Or what is my identity? We can know as Christians that our identity is in Christ. He is the vine, we are the branches, and God is the husbandman. The question is, how is our fruit production? Are we seeking to produce fruit? Are we acknowledging this? Are, are we abiding in Christ to produce fruit? Are we seeking to bring God glory? And as God is the keeper of our identity, and even though it may be some of the hardest things that we ever go through, we know that God is constantly in consistency working for our growth and for his glory. So where do you find your identity today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of Christ. Or without Christ's death on the cross, none of this would be possible. We would not have an identity in you. We'd be 
sinners on our way to everlasting judgment. And we just thank you for that salvation that was so freely given to us. That was nothing of ourselves, but it was all the work of Christ and, and your grace. I pray that as we live our lives and as we may be caught in this battle for identity, Lord, that we would recognize that as Christians, you have given us an identity. As the branches coming off the vine, that is Christ. Help us to be faithful and abiding in Christ, producing fruit, seeking to glorify you, and help us to continue to have faith as you seek to help us produce more fruit through sometimes glorious methods, Lord, also sometimes painful methods. Help us to continue to show faith in you even in the hard times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.